Take your Bibles tonight, if you would please, and turn to 1 John. Uh, The title tonight of this message is Dueling Desires, and I want to get down to the struggle of many of our temptations, especially with it comes to world love and the things in the world that are mentioned in our text tonight and the desires that we need to be able to handle on the inside. Uh, Augustine said, you are what you desire and love the most. And I, b- I believe that's a biblical principle. And in our text, you'll see there, as I read it here in a moment, that um, we are confronted tonight with two antithetical loves, polar opposites, extremely opposites. And you're going to see them as I read here in a moment, world love and God love, um, and, uh, and the desires that go along with each one of them. And so let me read it for you. First John two fifteen. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Um, There are ten commands or imperatives in the book of 1 John, this being the first of the ten. And in our verses three to be exact that we read already tonight there's only one command and it's the first very first line of verse 15 Um, it's love not the world and the word not is in the original language at the very first word in the sentence not love the world it's emphatic we would say and what he wants you to us to understand right off the bat with this first command is that there is definitely a part of resisting temptation and all the allurements that the world has to offer The, the christian is a believer has to be able to say no. We have to be, say no to those enticements. And, and at the end of the text, he's going to conclude by saying with great contrast, but rather you have to be able to have this desire. You have to have a love for God which results in or looks like uh, being obedient and practicing and doing the will of God. And so let me tell you right off the bat that when you fight temptation and the allurements of the world, that there is a no that must be said and there is a yes that must, no to sinful desires and yes to godly desires. Both are required in order to successfully live a life um, of loving God as he deserves. So everything following this first imperative, love not the world, in these verses are basically John's reasons that he gives you of why you should say no to the world love and yes to God love. So we're going to look at the text. That's the framework for it. One command followed by three reasons of why you should not love the world but instead love God. And and, and as I said before, it has to be both. And James knew that in the book of James. Chapter 4, he put it this way. The no is resist the devil and he will flee to you. And saying yes is... Draw near to God. And and you have to do both. You have to say no to the devil and yes to God. Paul frames it this way in Ephesians and Colossians. He says, put off the old man and put on the new man. And and so the Bible, in repeated different ways, from different perspectives and actually angles, says that, you know, if you face temptation, you got to get down below the surface to the desires and the things that you love and want. And when it comes to that... You have to, as a Christian, be able to say no and yes. And that's not probably anything new in some sense to just how life works all together. 
um, I've been on, and maybe you have as well, many diets in my life. I'm on one right now and trying to lose some weight as always. And so I can tell you this, a saying no does not automatically produce or mean that you're going to be able to say yes to something, i.e. saying no to a cheeseburger does not guarantee that you are going to say yes to a salad, right? It, they don't necessarily go to, hopefully they do, if you plan on dieting and lose weight. But saying yes to a workout at the gym does not mean you're not, you're not going to say, you're going to say no to a pig out later on. Some people go to the gym to work out so they can go and pig out at the same time. And so it, they don't necessarily go together. In fact, I used to belong down the street here to Planet Fitness. I'd go in there and they even had pizza on Fridays that you could buy at the gym, which when you think about it, in my opinion, doesn't make any sense at all. Um, obviously saying no and saying yes to them weren't that important. They even had candy day and you could grab hands of it for handfuls as you went out. But listen, that's not how it works, not successfully. I mean, Nancy Reagan just say no to drugs. The D.A.R.E. whole D.A.R.E. program was emphasizing just saying no. And it's why it's failed is because it's always more than that. Saying no, holiness by subtraction is only 50% of the equation. Uh, It's also holiness by addition. And you have to be able to have, yes, the affections that God wants you to have. So saying no to sinful desires does not automatically produce a yes to sanctified desires. Um, So we have to have both. And, and, And so I came across by David Bowden this definition of sanctification. He said, sanctification is not just restricting actions, that's the saying no part, but also it's reshaping affections. See how he put that? He says, there is a saying no part, that's the restricting of actions. It's not just changing habits. It's not just getting rid of the bad things that you're doing. That's part of it. But it's more than that. It's not just restricting actions. It's reshaping affections. It's replacing those things with greater desires, godly desires that center in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's really the tenor of this passage tonight that John wants us to get. So let me develop them and unpack them one at a time. John's going to explain in verses 15 through 17 three reasons why world love is forbidden if you truly are a Christian and what it means to have God love in your life instead. So let me give them to you one at a time. Pretty obviously uh, easy to follow here in the text. Again, verse 15, do not love the world or the things that are in the world. And there is a slight difference between those two things, and we're going to elaborate that on a little bit more. But here's the first reason. Here's the first reason why you as a Christian should not have world love, and you should have God love. In verse 15, because it says this, if anyone loves the world, this is your loving for, you love for the world, your love for the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So number one is this, you can't love the world and, you can't, and God simultaneously. See, world love and God love are polar extremes. Um, and that is true all throughout 1 John. 1 John is a book of antithetical, antithetical couplets. And by that I mean this, there's two opposite extremes and it's either one or the other. Now life isn't always like that but in kind of a wisdom literature format, so to speak, the way that Hebrew mindset thought, 
that often life is seen in, in black and white that way. And in 1 John, some of the couplets are light and darkness. And 1 John chapter 1 says, God is light and in him is no darkness at all, verse 5. So again, God is this, but he is not this at all. And he tells us later on that if we're children of light, we shouldn't have darkness either. So it's either this or this. Another one is Christ or Antichrist. And he talks about how Antichrist has come at the end of chapter 2 and in chapter 4. And he says, see, it's, it's either one. You're either for Christ or Antichrist. It's truth versus lies, right? It's love You love God, you love your brother, because if you don't really love them, you hate them. And if you hate them, then you do not have God's love, because love and hate don't go together. Life and death. And throughout this first epistle of John, he talks about what it means to have life, and also what it means to be dead in your sins still. And then he also is going to do, and this one's in our text as well, he talks about what is eternal and what is passing away, that which is temporal and that which lasts forever. And so throughout this whole uh, epistle, he's talking about these antithetical couplets because he wants us to know that they don't go together. These couplets are mutually exclusive. They don't go together at all. Jesus said this, this way in Matthew six twenty four. He says, no man can serve two masters. You're either going to love the one and cling to the other or hate the other and despise it. You can't serve God and money. Money and God, loving them anyways, is exclusive, he says. James, again, he used the word double-minded in James 1, 8 and 4, 8. He says, uh, another passage in James in chapter 4, he says, you can't be the friend of God and the friend of the world because if you're the friend of the world, you're, it's adultery spiritually to God. So you, you can't have both. And a lot of Christians want to believe that they can. But see, God love and world love cannot coexist together. And so let me give you some illustrations of that. I, I don't know about you, but I'm a big Star Wars fan. So it, it's be like saying Jedi and Sith. See, they don't go together. Um, there's no possible way. If you're a Star Trek fan, it's like being part of the Federation or being a Klingon. They are always at war with each other. Um, if you're a Tolkien fan and Lord of the Rings, you know orcs and then everybody else in Middle Earth, they don't have any communion whatsoever. They're, they're enemies of one another. Um, simple level, you, you know, it's either iPhone or Droid. You're either Apple or Ma- Ma- Microsoft. You're either Eagles or Cowboys, and maybe not either one of them, hopefully. But if you are, those don't get along either. Why? Because they cannot coexist. They're mutually exclusive. And so here's what he would say. This is John's thinking. He says, see, world love pushes out God love. And God love, if you have it, pushes out world love. And they're both against each other. So you you can't do both at the same time. Um, Demas is an example of this in Scripture. In 2 Timothy 4.10, Demas has forsaken me, Paul says, having loved this present world. So he couldn't be a God lover and stick with Paul and be a world lover at the same time. That's why he forsook Paul and loved the world because they are mutually exclusive. Paul would later say in that same, actually earlier in that chapter, 2 Timothy 4.8, he says that there is laid up for him the crown which is righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give him on that day, but not to him only, But who's he also going to give that crown to? All those who love his appearing. Demas loved the world. Paul says, 
loving God leads to a crown. So again, mutually exclusive. And then he goes on in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and talking about the last days. He said, in the last days, this is what's going to describe a lot of people who appear to be godly and on the outside appear to be religious. He says, this is what marks them amongst other things. Self-lovers, 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. Money lovers, pleasure lovers, rather than, listen to this, rather than God lovers. See what Paul's saying? He says you're either a God lover or you're going to be a money lover, a pleasure lover, or a self lover. Because you can't be all those kinds of lovers at the same time. Because God lover and all the rest of them, see, they're mutually exclusive. And so the scripture says, if anyone, verse 15, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. I don't know if you remember being required to, at least when I went to public school, we had to read Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. That was a novel, I think, produced in the 1800s by Robert Louis Stevenson. And it's a story, to be brief, about a, a doctor who lived a secret double life. Um, he had personalities, um, and, they, and they were basically dueling desires because one half of him, quote-unquote, lived out his bad desires, and the other half tried to, on the outside, at least li- look, you know, live out the good ones. He, he was a person who thought he could have two selves, um, two loves, two desires. He believed that literally he was two people. And if you read the book, you'll know that eventually trying to split himself in half destroyed him entirely. Um, A lot of Christians believe that they can live some sort of spiritual schizophrenia, that they have some sort of split identity. But when we become Christians, John says, we actually have a new singular identity. And that new identity of being in Christ incorporated with it is new desires as well as new deeds. And what Paul says is that we cannot live a double life. You're either you love God or you love the world. And now, certainly we don't love God as much as we ought to. The survey question proved that for us, right? But that's the trajectory of your life, that you are loving God if it's increasing slowly or whatever it is, but, but it can't go together hand in hand with loving the world. So the first point John wants to make is why you shouldn't love the world World love, but you should have God love, is that they are mutually exclusive. They don't go together. You can't do both simultaneously. Secondly, he says, world love and God love have completely different sources. Look at verse 16. For all that is in the world, and see the little word at the beginning, verse 16, for Verse 16 is really a support reason for the first reason. He's going to explain why You can't love God and you can't love the world at the same time. For, here's the reason why that's true, John would say. For all that is in the world. And and in your mind, think of this as a parallel statement. He says in verse 15, the things that are in the world, that little phrase is exactly parallel with all the things that are in the world. Now, as he said it in verse 15, he's going to expand on it in verse 16 and tell you what all the things in the world are. And so he's got categories for them. He uses that term so that we're on the same page about it. World, that word world, 16 times in John, and he uses a boatload of times in his gospel. And most of the time, 
uh, not all the time, there are a few positive ones, but most of the time it has a negative connotation. And, and when he talks about the world at large or in general, it's not the created planet that we live on. Um, he's talking about the world system itself that is in rebellion against God. In fact, in 519 of 1 John, this very epistle, he says the whole world lies in the control of the wicked one. So he sees the world as being really controlled by God, I mean by Satan. But, but he says in our text, notice with me, for all that is in the world, the world itself and the things that are in the, the world itself is a system that is organized in rebellion against God. And what makes that system go? What are the values that make up this system? He, he wants to let us know. And he puts them in three categories. And you're familiar with it most likely. Fleshly desires, visual or eye desires, and I call the last one materialistic desires or stuff desires. Um, fleshly desires, the one that we said that we all agreed that the majority of us agreed anyways that it was the most difficult to combat. Um, if you read Pilgrim's Progress, and I love that book and have numerous copies of it, um, one of the characters as Pilgrim is on his way to the celestial city, so to speak, the heavenly city, is Mr. Worldly Wiseman. And he is from the city of carnal policy, meaning it's a city that is based on fleshliness. It has, all the rules are about making you indulge selfishly in all the pleasures and corruptions that you like to. And he has, tries to get a Christian to go ahead and to live out the desires that he wants to, thinking that you can do that at the same time and still say that you are a Christian. And in the story, uh, John um, Bunyan uh, makes a big deal out of what Mr. Worldly Wiseman looks like. He is a very astute man. He is well-dressed. In fact, he it mentions that he even looks like a pastor or a preacher. He's dignified. But all along, he's very deceptive. And the things that he describes about what it means to follow God and know God are completely opposite of what the Bible says because they are based on his carnal appetites. And that's exactly what fleshly desires are. They are things that we accomplish in our body, sometimes physical things, sexual things, otherwise fleshly things that we desire. Uh, if you want a whole, com not exhaustive, but a good listing of them, you can read Galatians 5 and Colossians 3 and a few other places in Scripture, Romans 1, and you'll find all that is entailed in what it means to be living a fleshly life. That is not in keeping with uh, what it means to be a Christian. That is what it means when you love the world. World love has that incorporated in its system, but it is not part of the system of God love. It's a completely opposite value system that God love is based on, and fleshly desires are, are not that which controls us when we love God. I desires, things that we see, things that aesthetically please us, things that when we see them, want to make us fulfill those bodily desires. And eye desires and body desires often actually go hand in hand. Um, case in point, Eve in Genesis 3, um, she saw the tree that God said no to, and it says, and she saw it, and it, it was desirable to make one wise, and then she actually took it and ate of it. So, and see, she, she saw it, and she looked at it, and saw it would give her independent wisdom from God to decide right and wrong on her own, and then she actually did it. Eve knew and understood, has experienced that. And because of her, all of us, and Adam, we all have. Achan saw the Babylonian garment and the silver and gold that he 
in Jericho and he hid it under his tent and he saw it was appealing to him. Even though he knew it was korban and forbidden by God, Achan took it anyways because he was someone who gave in to the lust of the eyes. And we could go on. David, when he saw Bathsheba and how he gave into it, and it led to adultery, which was compounded by murder and all the things for a year time that happened as a result in David's life. Lot saw Instead of choosing wisely and letting Abraham choose, he chose first. He chose what was visually appealing to him, which would make him his flocks prosper. And he really was only concerned but the, uh, for himself. The eyes um, led him in those ways. And then thirdly is stuff desires. Um, this is the other value, the categorical value that summarizes a lot of things the world has to throw at us. Pride of life, bios, it means... Uh, actually, in the, our First John three seventeen, it's translated: If you have this world's goods, in other words, you have material things, you have food, you have things in abundance to the degree that you could share it, and, and obviously not be missing it too much with other people. You need to do that in First in First John three seventeen. Also in Mark twelve forty four, when it talks about the widow who gave her last two mites, it says she put in the uh, offering trumpet in the temple. Uh, all her living, it says in the text. And the word living means, it's this, this word, bios. It's her livelihood. It, it was what she survived on. It w- allowed her to buy things and have things. It was her livelihood. That's the idea. And, and John is saying this. You know what the world is like when you love the world? You're a person who's controlled by those desires. Desires for fleshly things, physical things. You're moved by what you see, and, and it moves you to do things and think things that are not in keeping with loving God. And then it also can say, hey, the first two categories are the things you don't have, but you really want them. I mean, you really want them. And the last category, pride of life, is things that you do have, and you have pride in them. Uh, you want people to know, hey, this is the car I drive. I live in this neighborhood, by the way. And look at me. I, I wear this. And these are the kind of brand names I wear and the clothes I have. And this is the vacations that I take. And this is the kind of office job I have or, or whatever it might be. And this is the kind of money I have. And, and this is the kind of powers. See, it's the pride of life. And, and we want people to know it. And, and those mentalities and those areas of our lifestyle, he says, those are not compatible not even the least, with God love. Those are all things that mark people who are world lovers. One author I said, that, said this, that the meta want, the meta meaning the overarching, the one desire that controls all the other desires is to be satisfied. Satisfaction is the controlling desire. Worldly sins and desires are nothing more than a satisfaction scam. And back in the day, and maybe they still do, but I haven't seen this in quite a while, you could get a TV offer on the television of some product, and they would say, money back guarantee, that the customer satisfaction is guaranteed, and they would promise all of that. They're going to give you a full refund, they would say, and often to find that that wasn't the case, and the whole thing was a scam. And here's what John says. He says, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, it's a scam. And you know why? Here's why. Because it is not from the Father. In other words, everything that the world promises you 
there's no way they're going to stand behind it. And it's never going to make you happy. Why? Because it is empty. It is empty of God. It's not from the Father. And the word from, not from the Father, but from the world, is the little Greek word ek. And it, it means source. It means origin. In other words, you know where all of these lusts and desires come from? Their origin is not God. They don't come from God. They don't come from knowing God and following Jesus. They come from the world, he says. So the God, so God and the world are completely opposite one another when it comes to providing a source of satisfaction. The word ek or the of is all throughout 1 John. They went out from us because they were not of us. In other words, they really weren't of us. They really weren't Christians. And that's why they end up leaving our fellowship and turning their back. Jesus said, you are of your, you are of your father, the devil. See, you are of him. He's the source of all the things that you want and do. And, and, and he proved it to him because he says, and you will do your father's desire. Because, see, here, here's the thing. Your origin produces your desires. So if your origin is that you are of the devil, then you're going to do the desires of the devil. And the Bible says, Jesus said, and because he was a murderer from the beginning, and you're going to try to murder me. So that proves who you're really from or what you're really of. 1 John 3, 9 and 10 says, here's how you can know the difference between the children of God and the children of the devil, he says. And it's obvious that these two are very different in their origins, and they offer two kinds, completely radically different origins of satisfaction. The prophet Jeremiah had the same issue with God's people in his day. And wrote of Israel, and he said in Jeremiah 2.11, My people have committed two evils. Listen to this, two. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, the source of real satisfaction. Imagine living waters in a desert climate was absolutely necessary. You had to have wells. You had to have um, cisterns where you kept water for you and all the people with you, and all your animals and livestock to keep everything, you, you had to have, and he says, listen, I am the source of the water that you need. You want real satisfaction in life, not just physically, but spiritually. You have turned your back on a never-ending source of satisfaction. I'm the fountain of it, he says. And in, instead of that, instead of loving God and finding your source of satisfaction, you've turned to hewing out your own cisterns, he says, trying to make your own source of satisfaction, your own way with your own things that the world has to offer. He says, and here's the result of it. Broken cisterns, Jeremiah says, that can hold no water. See, the water comes in and you have it for a while, but it all goes out the bottom because the cisterns that the world has to offer, the sources of satisfaction that the world promises you cannot do it. They, there is no promise guarantee. There is no money because they're not going to give you your money back. Listen, they're, they're takers, he says. It is a, the world and its desires and all the things that go with it, they are satisfaction scams, did you know this last year in 2019 that on phone scams, just scams on people alone over the phone, Americans lost 19, $19.7 billion just in one year last year because the phone scams are getting more and more 
um, sophisticated and convincing all the time. And there's even people who are losing money by the boatload, even during COVID-19. Extended stimulus checks, you can get them expedited, faster. Um, that's the scam. It's not true, but that's what they put out there. Fake coronas, miracle cures. If you get this, we promise that you will be cured. It's still going out there. Government-issued fake COVID-19 tests. That's what's being offered out there. And you give money for it, but it never really happens. Donation scams. Give us this money. It will help going to find a vaccine. But it doesn't go to that. It just goes to somebody's pocket. And it's scams. Let me ask you, are you being scammed tonight because world love and world desires are a scam? The anger that you hold on to, the drunkenness at the bottom of a bottle, the end of the needle or someone else's bed that promises you that it will leave all of your anger and your worries and your stress, it's all a lie. It's a scam. So he says, here's the two reasons. You can't love God and love the world simultaneously. He says it doesn't happen that way. And secondly, he says that world love and God love, you can't have both because they come from completely different sources. And lastly, John wants us to know in verse 17, the third reason why you can't have God love and world love at the same time. And the world is passing away, listen to this, along with its desires. He told you what the desires are and what they are made of and what they're all about. Now let me tell you what's going to happen to you if you succumb and align yourself with those desires, he says. He said the world is passing away. In verse, chapter 2, verse 8, he says the same phrase just changes. He says, and the darkness is passing away because the world is darkness. It's, it's life apart from God who is light. It's Satan's kingdom. It's Satan's world. And when you fall in line with those desires, you are taking step by step by step further from the light and more into the darkness. The same phrase is used with a slight difference in 1 Corinthians 7.31. For the form, the schema, the outward shell, the whole value system of this world, Paul says in that chapter, is passing away. It's going to be destroyed. Here's what he's saying. John's saying, don't love the world. You know why? Because the world and its whole scheme and the whole form of it and all the desires that go with it that I've mentioned, they're not going to last. It's like investing in a company and putting millions of dollars into a company that you know is on the brink of bankruptcy. It would be absolutely foolish. It's like buying or booking tickets on the Titanic while it's sinking in the Atlantic Ocean. It doesn't make any sense. The ship's going down. It's time for us as Christians to realize that we need to abandon this ship. That wherever we are on the love of the world scale, we need to forfeit it as much as, if not everything, that we can. C.T. Studd, the great missionary, said this, Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ, listen, will last. He knew that. Only when you love God and act out on that love will it last. Because everything that is involved with the desires that go along with the world will not last. It won't last. So the world is passing away, John says. And, and that's what he at along with, along with its desires. So I, I, make, I wrote down this principle based on that truth in verse 17. I put this, if you share 
the desires of the world, you will also share the destiny of the world. Do you hear what he says? The world is passing away. It's going to be destroyed. It's not, that's its destiny. And guess what? You know what's going to go along with the world when it's destroyed? Everyone who has gone in with its desires, along with its desires. So if you have bought into the source of satisfaction that the world offers, you will go along with the world when it's destroyed. So here's why if you share the desires of the world, you will also share the destiny of the world. Shared desires and shared destiny go together, he says. But that's not all, thankfully. If he stopped there, it'd be fairly discouraging, I'm sure. But he says, let me contrast that. See, it's not just saying no. Remember we said? It's also saying yes. So we say no to loving the world. And John says, let me build an argument. There are the three reasons. But let me conclude with this. It's also, if you want to be temptation at the root, where the desires are, it's saying yes. It's saying yes, he says. But, see it? Strongest adversative in the Greek language. In other words, these two are so opposite of one another. Let me tell you the complete alternative to all the things I've been saying in this little paragraph up until now. Whoever does the will of God, and the word will means to desire. See, here it is. If you desire what the world desires, you're going to share its destiny. You share its desires, you're going to share its destiny. But let me flip it over, he says. If you share the desires for God, doing his will, obeying his word, loving him supremely, he says, you'll share that destiny. And what is that destiny, verse 17? You're going to abide forever. See, the destiny of the world, it isn't going to last. It's temporal at best. It's not going to be here forever. But on the opposite side, see, it's completely different. The world has its desires and its destiny, but so does God, see? If you desire God, you want to do or desire his will, his word, loving him, see, you're going to abide forever. But it starts by saying, God, I say no to the world's desires, and I say yes to desiring you, desiring what your word says, obedience. Henry Martin, another brilliant missionary and translator of the last century, looked at his conversion four years after it happened and said this, and I quote, the work of God is real. I can no more doubt my salvation than I can my own existence. Listen to this. The whole current of my desires is altered. I am walking quite another way now, though I am incessantly stumbling in that way. He says, I don't do it perfectly. Maybe we say, survey, increasingly, slowly increasing in my love for God. Not because I don't trip up, not because I'm perfect. But that's certainly the trajectory. Here's what Henry Martin says. And it all started with a new current of desires, completely altered and changed. Doing God's desires, doing his will. So shared desire and shared destiny, they go to hand, hand in hand with God. So can I say it bluntly? Where there is no desire for God, there is no faith in God. Because it's part and parcel of the salvation package. That when you love God and desire God, that is what is produced when you actually know God, John says. 
Loving the Father, according to John, and not loving the world, it is not just icing on the cake of salvation. It's not. It's not just an extra that really good Christians get. No, you know what it is? For John, it's not optional at all, he says. Loving God and not loving the world is part and parcel of what it means to actually know God. It's the number one life event that we should be pushing toward because it is a matter of whether you will abide forever or not, he says. So how important is it to understand and be able to let God work in and through your desires to reshape them and reorient them them and remake them to demonstrate your love for God? Well, it's everything. It's everything. Dueling desires. How are you doing tonight? How are you doing? It's not optional to fight the world or the temptations and desires that come with it. It's part of what it means when you love God. It's saying no and saying yes at the same time. Let's close in prayer. Father, we want to say tonight, thank you. Thank you for this rich text. Thank you for the clarity of it. Thank you for its simplicity. But it is at the same time profound. And we ask God tonight, we ask you tonight that you'll help us. Help us to be saying both no to world love and yes to God love. And may it start in our desires. Because we can't just cancel out desires. We have to replace them. And I pray, God, for those of us tonight, all of us, to some level struggling with world desires and world love, that, God, we might be in your word, in your house, serving up. We might be fostering and reshaping new desires by your Spirit's help that help us to indicate faithfully by a consistent life, all by your grace, that God love is what marks our lives. And may all of that be for your honor and glory alone. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.